it is almost nerve-wracking for me to have walked these sacred halls and to stand in this sacred place. You honor me by asking me to come here today. I am somewhat challenged on what to say to you. And what I'm going to do is share a part of my story and my connection with Martin King. I was indeed, as the words of the introduction said, I am from humble beginnings. I was born October 21, 1934, in a little town called Portland, Arkansas, to Ike and Dorothy Blake. My father, who never learned to read or write, and my mother, who only finished third grade, were sharecroppers and tenant farmers. We lived on three different plantations. The first years of my life and I was born and reared and lived on a plantation until I graduated from college in 1959. During my formative years, I attended a one-room church where the school was housed there. The owner of the plantation built a church named the teacher. My first teacher was not even a college graduate, a sophomore in college. She had the responsibility of teaching first through seventh grades, every subject. Our school year was a seven-month school split shift. We only went to school when to the classroom when it was not favorable for us to be in the fields to work. When the weather was unfavorable, we were in the class. When the cotton needed no attention, we were in the class. Otherwise, we were in the fields. I was almost a teenager before I learned to read and write. I was seventh grade before I ever heard of the eight parts of speech and didn't know what a fraction was. I knew it was a number written over a number. I grew up with an undiagnosed disability, dyslexia. 
I graduated from high school at 19 and a half years old. Graduated from college at 24 and a half years. With all of those disadvantages, God blessed me with parents who taught me life and people skills. And more importantly, led me to know Christ. I managed my way successfully through a Jim Crow era in America. Jim Crow laws forced me to use black-only water fountains, restrooms, waiting rooms, forced me to stand in the back of the bus when there was plenty of sitting room up front. I knew when meeting a white person on the sidewalk, I could not maintain my position on the sidewalk when I confronted them. I had to step in the mud and let them pass by. I was almost taught by Examples to scratch my head when it didn't itch and to grin when nothing was funny. I was grieved by society, the fact that society denied my and black people's humanity. And at my college commencement, 1959, Martin King Jr. was my commencement speaker. I had kept up with his movement in Alabama. I had read his book, Stride Toward Freedom. And I knew in my heart that he was a person that I could follow. He was a person that I wanted to emulate. He was a person that I wanted to hook up with. And help to change society. As I look back at my life and what I experienced, I... Um, I really classify myself as a person who resisted society, what society forced on me. I learned, and you won't have any appreciation for this, but let me share it. I had to plow mules when I was in high school and, and my teachers were teaching me grammar, to speak grammar properly, to speak properly. And the farmers were, as they plowed the mules, they used mule language, whoa, haw, gee. And I didn't want my teacher to hear me saying that. And I discovered 
It was not the language that you used with the mule that demanded command. It was the pull of the reins. So when I wanted them to stop, I pulled the reins and said, instead of saying, whoa, stop, to the right, to the left, I had intelligent mules. <laughs> I knew that there was something about Martin King that I could partner with him to say to America, there's a better way. I was invited by him February 1960 to come to Atlanta and was hired March 1st I went to work in Shreveport Louisiana as a field representative to get blacks registered to vote and that was a task for blacks because they had to pass literacy tests and sometimes the person applying the test was not literate. They had to interpret the Constitution to the satisfaction of the administrator of the test. And then lastly, you had to have a registered voter to say that you were who you were. And the only registered voters who could vouch for you were white. But to my surprise and to my disappointment, I went to work March 1st for King. March 2nd, I was arrested. I tarnished my daddy's testimony. He had, though he couldn't read or write, but he was never arrested. I was one of four children, and I was the, I am the only child ever arrested, but for a cause. I was arrested mul multiple times. And on October 12, 1960, there was an assassination attempt on my life. I was coming from my rural church from prayer meeting that night. And Martin King's convention had just concluded in Shreveport earlier that day. And a car on the highway that I thought was pulling into the left lane to pass me shot into my car and the impact of the bullet and the glass tore four holes in the coat I was wearing and missed me because God had me to move forward to adjust the radio just in time and the bullet lodged in the right front seat of my car. I pursued the car to get the license number, turn it over to the sheriff Two days later, the sheriff said the owner of this car said he was bowling, so he didn't do it. And that's all was done about that. Some years later, Dr. King, Dr. King's last trip to Shreveport, Louisiana, 
his executive secretary, Dr. Wyatt T. Walker, and I were watching the Ku Klux Klan protest that meeting and beating up on some youth. The police came and demanded that we go in the church. And me being a southern raised from a plantation, I was used to doing what white folk told me to do. And I attempted to go in the church, and Dr. Walker said, let's stand out here and watch what's going to happen. And we were arrested, stayed in jail for 72 hours, and kept under surveillance for mental observation a charge for which my wife said I have not been cleared yet. <laughs> On September 22, 1963, the Sunday subsequent to the day that the girls were killed in the 16th Street Baptist Church of Montgomery, of uh, Birmingham, Alabama, we were having a memorial service had planned, as President Kennedy has proclaimed that day of mourning, had planned a march from the high school to the church, went to get the permit, was denied the permit at the ninth hour, noon Saturday. The next day was Sunday. I was asked, what are you going to do? Well, sir, you've had five days to make up your mind, and you want me to make mine up in five seconds. I'll let you know tomorrow. Shreveport on Sunday became a war zone. We don't even have thousands of police in the city, but they were marshaled from across the state on horses with bayonets, riding up and down the street cow, with cow prods, with nightsticks beating blacks. Long story short, at the end of the service, after most of the people had left the sanctuary, rode horses inside of the church drug me out, beat me until I appeared to be lifeless or dead and left me lay in the front yard of the church. October 22nd, 1963. My family did not want me to get medical attention in Shreveport. I was flown to Dallas, Texas Stayed there for some weeks, recovering, and my school president, Dr. M.K. Curry, president of Bishop College, put me in housing on the campus until I recovered and went back to Shreveport. Martin King was a man, and I think 
John's gospel describes him. And there was a man sent from God to be a witness. I was impressed by him, his posture about life and death. He faced life and experienced danger, insults and indignities. His home was bombed. He was beaten, incarcerated, spat on, but he never wavered. He refused to give up the fight for freedom. And I remember hearing him say, A man who will not die for something is not fit to live. I knew that I was a man willing to die for something. I was impressed by his philosophy about justice. He taught that just injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And he impressed me to be a modern-day Amos who said, let justice run down like waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. I was impressed by that man because he rejected violence. His stance was violence as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. Impractical because It is a decreasing spiral that ends in destruction of everyone. Immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than to win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than convert. Violence is immoral, he said, because it thrives on hatred rather than love. I could follow a man like Martin. He rejected violence, but he embraced non-violent direct action. His stance was that non-violence is the way of the strong. Nonviolence is not for cowards or the weak or the passive or the apathetic, neither the fearful. He espoused that, that nonviolence, the goal of nonviolence is redemption and reconciliation. Nonviolence does not seek to defeat or humiliate the opponent, but to win friendship and understanding. And I like this. Nonviolence seeks to defeat evil and not the evildoer. 
Nonviolence is directed against the forces of evil rather than against persons who perpetrate evil. And he carried a step further. Nonviolence includes a willingness to accept suffering without retaliation, to accept beatings from the opponent without striking back. And one, he said, must be willing to accept violence if necessary, but never to inflict violence. He taught on Unearned suffering is redemptive. Nonviolence avoids not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of spirit. One must practice, he preached, must practice agape, love in action. One must not only refuse to shoot his opponent, but he must refuse to hate his opponent. And nonviolence, King taught, is based on the conviction that the universe is on the side of justice. Therefore, we, the champions for justice, have a cosmic, a cosmic companionship with God as who's on the side of right. Truth crushed to the earth will rise again. Something redemptive about that. And Jesus Christ modeled it for us. They hung him high and stretched him wide on the cross on Friday. Through Christ and through King, I learned not to give up on Friday. Because day after Friday, day after Friday, Sunday is on its way. There's something redemptive. about loving your enemy. That's my message.